Thank you, Mike. We've been looking at the uh, letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. I'm trying to pick out some hints in there about how we can be spiritually successful, how we can grow in Christ, and how, how, Tim, how Paul told Timothy how he might grow and become everything that God intended for him to be and uh, successful in his endeavors as a believer, as a Christian, as a, as a pastor of the church at Ephesus. So this morning, I, I'd like for us to look at um, a passage and I'm going to draw some things out of that passage, and then I'm going to leave there and go somewhere else. It's not chasing a rabbit because I'm doing it on purpose, okay? I want us to see a, uh, a, a, an example of what Timothy is talking about in the life of Jesus himself. The, um, the passage that we're going to read is 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 10. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 10. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Christians has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tachius to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him, because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it, and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack, and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. In that passage, I think there's, what, 11 verses there? Paul mentions 17 different people. And then, in addition to that, that last phrase, he says, and all the brothers, or all the brethren, uh, all the others who are there. Uh, it's, not a, uh, it, it's not a word that simply means only the men folk, but all the brethren, all the folks who, who are there. Greet them all for me. And so he mentions these 17 people, and, and there are several different kinds of people that he mentions, or different kinds of relationships that he has with these folks. He says those who are the brethren, uh, those who are the ones who 
are like family to us. In verse 21, he says, he says, Eubulus greets you, as do Putin's Linus, Claudia. He's talking about these that, that are friends that, that just greet them. And then uh, he offers some wisdom in this passage to Timothy about choosing who those friends are. He says um, in verse 5 of 1 Timothy 6, 5, he says, There's constant friction between men of corrupt minds who have been robbed of the truth, who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Having the form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with it. So he says, people who are like that, just, just avoid them. If, if they're negative, if they have a negative influence on you, 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 you know people who have negative influences on you. Paul says to Timothy, avoid them. Alexander the coppersmith, just avoid folks like that. Watch out for them. You know, there are some people who, who you want to be close to because they are positive influences for you. They're encouragers. You know, Paul had Barnabas. Barnabas is, is a word that means the son of encouragement. Everybody needs an encourager. We need somebody to encourage us. Uh, but watch out for those who are negative influences. In 2 Corinthians, he's, Paul tells the folks at Corinth, you, you need to, to be friends with those who are like-minded, who are like you. He says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what righteousness and what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? You know, we've kind of taken that and said, you know, a Christian should only marry a Christian. But this is much, much wider than that. This is saying that, that our, our close influences, our close friendships would be with people that, uh, that we're of like mind with. Amos 3, Paul, uh, Amos says, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? No, we, we need to, to build relationships and friendships with those who think like we do. He says, those who are givers and not takers. You know, I, I look at Luke. He says, only Luke is with me. So get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in ministry. You guys know, you know that Luke, this is the same Luke who wrote <laughs> the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the uh, Holy Spirit. And he was with Paul on his missionary journey. He was also a physician. He was a doctor. And so in order to go with Paul on his missionary journeys, he kind of gave up a life of privilege. You know, he was, he was a Gentile, and he left to go with a Jew. He was, uh, he, he probably, he was a Roman citizen, and he left to go with this, who was, this man who was uh, persecuted by, by Romans. And so he, he gave all of that up to be with, with uh, Paul. You need people in your life who are on your side, who are for you, who are with you, who care for you. And then needs, needs people, he talks about some people here that you can trust. He says, I sent Tychius to Ephesus. 
And if you kind of do a word search, a name search for Tychius, you find that Tychius, Paul entrusted him with at least two of his letters. In Ephesians 6.21, he says, Tychius, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. So I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. So he sent Tychius to Ephesus with Paul's letter to the Ephesians. He says, because you need to know how I'm doing so you can pray for me, and I need to know how you are, and I trust Tychius to tell me the truth. In Colossians chapter 4, he says, Tychius will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending you him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. So Paul remembers this man Tychius as a true friend. And then he mentions a friend who challenges him. He says, Greet Priscilla and Achilla and the household of Anisiphorus. You know who they are. Have you read, you've, you've looked in Corinth. You realize that they're the one who challenged Apollos when uh, he was saying some things that weren't totally accurate. You know, that was the way they were. And they, they encouraged Paul. They also challenged him. You know, you need people who will sharpen you. People who, in the Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Uh, so, and, and I go through those just to help us to understand that we need friends. We need friends. You know, and, and in our culture... It's tough to find time to build the kind of friends that, that we need. We have, you know, you know, we have family, we have spouses, mortgage, kids, schedules, work, travel, kids, grandkids, you know, extended family. That there, there just doesn't seem to be a whole lot of room to, to make friends with, with others. I read about Jim Hoffman. He said, uh, about twice a year when I can't handle the guilt anymore, I sit down and answer the emails. Uh, you kind of can, can kind of relate to that, you know. Uh, he's, he says, um, he is an a executive in New York City. He's 42 years old. And he says, I'm too busy. Friends are a luxury I cannot afford I have a wife, a young daughter, a busy job. They already take up 120% of my time. There's no room for anyone else. You say, well, I can relate to that. That's no, no, no big deal. But um, we know that's not true. We need friends. Friends are important. Friends are special. You ever thought about all the all the organizations that have the word friend in their name. I mean, you know, think of it. There's, there's uh, friends of the sea otter, friends of the whales, friends of the porpoises, 
friends of the dogs. You know, everybody has something that they're a friend of. There's friends of the library. I saw one that was friends of Israel, friends of freedom, friends of the environment, friends of the earth, friends of the ocean, friends of Japan. Why do they use that term? Why friends? Because, you know, everybody wants to have somebody that, that they're close to. You know, they're, they're friends of the gardens, friends of the parks, friends of towns and countries and cities and states. I even found one that was called the Friends of Tobacco. Guess where it's at? North Carolina. You know, that's what, what you'd figure. Uh, you know, the medical community says the values of friendships is dramatically underscored. Listen to what they say. Fewer friends lead to higher stress and a shorter life. In a study of 2,800 men and women over the age of 65, those with more friends have a lower risk of health problems, and they recover faster when they do develop them. A Yale University studied 10,000 seniors and showed that having friends reduced the risk of death by 50% over a five-year period. Friends help you reduce your stress, improve the quality of your life, help you live longer, help you get a better job, help you improve your marriage, and help you derive more joy from your life. So there you have it. Friends. You need friends. <clears throat> now the bad news. Typically, in our country, I'm, I don't know about Dolores and the surrounding areas, but typically, adults have one or two best friends, four or six close friends, 10 to 20 casual friends. And I have to be honest with you, I think those numbers are high. I'm not sure people have that many friends. Because healthy friendships take time just to get up and going. Uh, they require nurturing and planning. And, and in our culture, in our society, just when a friendship is in place, somebody moves away, or somebody gets sick, or somebody dies, and, and we lose the friends that we have. Um, I, I was thinking about that. I guess you already know we, we, we listen to a lot of country music and cowboy music. Let, let me share another one with you. Home, home on the range. Y'all know that? Where the, what, deer and the antelope play? Where seldom is heard, what? A discouraging word. You reckon that's why we all think about being a cowboy? You know, it'd be nice to be a cowboy and never hear a discouraging word. Uh, it, it, it's, it's hard to imagine such a place. You don't believe me? Just get on, get up in the morning and turn on the TV, and guess what you're going to hear? A discouraging word. It's, it's, they don't tell you the good news. Uh, crime's up, global warming's coming, natural resources are dwindling, the, the air is, is bad, the water's bad, we're not, we don't have enough water. Uh, your boss hates you, your coworkers don't like you. 
you know, they, they, just, they just sneak up. It, it seems like the purpose of the news media is to tell us bad news. Not news, just bad news. You know, I, I, haven't ever, I haven't wrestled through this totally in my mind. But, you know, on, on June the 2nd, the fire started in, in Durango, and then the one started... Uh, the borough fire started over here closer to, to where we are. And there was nothing but bad news for days and days, weeks and weeks. If you, have, if you get the county emergency services text, you're getting one every day with, with the bad news on it and everything. And over and over, pray for rain, pray for rain, pray for rain. We need rain. The only thing that's going to help this is rain. And then... The day before the rain started, in the Cortez Journal, which comes out of the Durango Herald, it said, just because it's supposed to rain this weekend, don't think it's going to do any good. You know, bad news. Don't, don't get excited about good news. And then it rained. And guess what happened? But have you heard anybody, any news media... Praise the Lord for the rain. They want us to pray for it. But you know why they don't do that? Because that would be good news. And they're involved with giving us a discouraging word. You know, in the face of all the gloom and doom, you and I, we ought to just make a vow with ourselves to claim ministry as Christian cowpokes where you never hear a discouraging word. We're not going to talk about discouraging words because we need encouragers, not discouragers. We need Barnabases. We need to, to just refuse to utter discouraging words. Imagine what we might hear if we devoted ourselves to listening for and only passing along good news. Barnabas. Do you have a Barnabas friend who's always encouraging you? Yeah, I've got one of those. You know, he's 400 miles away in Salt Lake City. But he is, you know, ask Jennifer, he is an encourager. Like, no, he's been here before. He was here one Sunday and visited with us. And uh, he makes up names for me. Uh, he calls me funny things. Uh, one, one of my favorite is, uh, you know, I'm a Yankee fan, and he was a Yankee fan. And uh, Joe Torre was manager of the Yankees. And he, he said to me, he says, you know, you look like Joe Torre. I think you're his brother, is what he said. I think secretly you're his brother. And so he says, I'm going to give you a new name. From now on, your name is Vic. Okay? So put those two names together. Victory. Victory. And so that's about half the time when he texts me, he calls me Vic. You know, you're a victory, you're a victor. You know, that, that type of a thing. He, he, he's an encourager. We need a friend who encourages us. Uh, we, we, need a, we need a friend like Timothy. A friend like Timothy that you can pour your life into, that you can pour your heart into, that you can encourage and build up and grow to be the person 
that, that he needs to be or he need, wants to be. And we all need an Aquila and a Priscilla as a friend. Somebody who will challenge us to be better than we are, to be different than we are. And you know, having looked at all of that, read all of that in Timothy and looking through those 17 names and the different categories that you can put those 17 names in, I thought about the theology involved, and maybe maybe I should apologize to you for bringing theology into a sermon. I, you know, I don't. You know, we want practicality, not theology. But let's let's think about the theology just for a minute. And and by thinking about the theology, you go back and and you look at, at all of Scripture and what it says. And if you go all the way back to Genesis. Uh, and, and you read the creation story, and you begin looking at the creation story. Uh, and you read through it, and it says, in the end of the first day, God looked at all that he had made, and it was good. Y'all remember that? And then the second day, God looked at all that he had made, and it was good. And the third day, it was good. And the fourth day, it was good. And the fifth day, it was good. There had been five good days in a row. And then it says the sixth day he created man. And he looked at it and he said, this is very good. He lifted it up a stroke. This is very good. And then there's a really, really interesting verse. Chapter 2, verse 18. God had just said he had created Adam and it's very good. He's created the world. And everything is good. And so here's Adam and God together. They walk together. They talk together. They're, they're in the Garden of Eden together. Everything's good. And then God says, The Lord said to God, It's not good. It's not good. What's not good? It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. What he said was, it's not good to be a loner. You need somebody with you. You need, you need a, a helper. You need a friend. You know, it, it, it's not good that Adam is alone. And you know, we, we need to recognize. So, so he gave Adam a spouse. And then he gave them a family. And he gave them a, a community. He gave them all of those things that they can live in. Uh, uh, we, we look at a spouse, a family, and a church. And, and you realize that to have God is good. But to have others and God is very good. That's what we need. We need other people. You know, and, and you look back and you, and you think about Jesus Christ, and you realize that he knew that as well. And, and I want you to see, in, in just a second, how carefully Jesus cultivated friends and relationships that were able to sustain him through the tough times. You know, Jesus and God, the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, very God himself, the way he made it through the tough times he prayed and relied on his father. And what? 
and he had friends. He had friends that he had cultivated that, that were with him. Friends are essential. Don't, don't miss this. It's not optional. It's important. If we're going to be spiritual successes, it's important for us to have friends and build friends. People to come alongside and care for us and listen to us and feel with us and comfort us and reprove us and grieve with us. They're essential. And they're not automatic. That's the second thing. The first thing is they're essential. The second thing is you have to cultivate them. You know, Proverbs says, a man who has friends has to show himself friendly. In other words, you've got to cultivate friends or you won't have any. And, and the third thing is, is that friends impact your life. They're not neutral. Good friends impact your life positively. Bad friends impact your life negatively. So you want to pick why pick pick good friends. Now I want to I want to talk about Jesus just just for a minute. Then I'll uh, I'm convinced that Jesus knew how important friends were. You remember the day that uh, he fed the five thousand. Know, he fed all those people and and. Uh, the, the, the next morning, they, they all showed up again. Not because they were his friends, but because he fed them. And so, then he preaches a really hard sermon on discipleship. And all 5,000 of them walked away. They walked away from him. And after they were all gone, Jesus looked at the 12. These are the 12 disciples whom he had picked. And he said to them, will you go away too? Are you going to leave me too? What if he wasn't talking about discipleship right then? I've always looked at it as because the message was on discipleship and the crowds walked away because of discipleship that he was looking at his disciples and saying, are you going to be my disciples? I'm not sure that's what he was saying. I think he might have been saying, if you go away, I won't have any friends left. I'll be all by myself. Because he knew the importance of friends. Uh, think, think about the, the way relationships work. You know, they, they kind of start at a, at a, at a V and they and they go out like this. And so here at the, at the bottom of the V, you have a very, very few close friends. Uh, and up here at the top, you have a lot of acquaintances. Okay? But at the, um, at the top of the V, where you have a lot of acquaintances, you have the bottom of an inverted B, V where you don't share much with them. Does that make sense? You know, with all of the acquaintances you have, you share very little. But with the close friends that you have, you share a lot. 
You share everything. And so you have, you have acquaintances. You know each other. You say hi to each other. But, you know, you don't ask hard questions to your acquaintances. Th th think about when, when, you, when you meet somebody you haven't seen for a long time. And they're your acquaintance. You know them. You know their name. You may know their, their spouse's name. And uh, they say, hi, how are you doing? What do you always say? Fine, great, good, perfect, blessed. You know, you just, you just, you just make up a word. Um, you don't ever tell them the truth. <laughs> you know, you don't say, well, you know, really, my life is falling apart, but I'm not going to tell you about it. You know, I'm, I'm keeping it to myself. You just don't do that with, with acquaintances. And Jesus had, had, a, had hundreds of acquaintances. As a matter of fact, he was, he was accused of having too many because he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But then when you go up the V just a little bit more, you... You have a few more what you might call casual friends. Uh, you have a little more contact with them. You have a little more interest in their life and they and you. And, and you're free to ask a little bit harder question. And by, by a little bit harder question, you, you might even ask them an opinion. You know, you don't ask your acquaintances for opinions unless you're doing a poll, you know. But your, your casual friends, you might ask them a, an opinion. What, what do you think about something or other? Um, Jesus had some of those. Um, at one point, he had 72 that he, that he sent out. And when they came back, he says, tell me what happened. You know, and, and they reported to him, and Jesus was kind of interested in, in what they had done. And then they left, and Jesus said, he turned to this 12 and he says, I want to tell you a little bit more than they know. I want to share a little bit more with you. And he opened himself up to those 12. Close friends. Friends who have similar life goals. Friends who allow you to ask hard questions. Friends you do things with. And the disciples were Jesus' close friends. He had, he had 12 of them, and then there were a few others that, that you find as you look through Scripture that, that he, was, he was close with. Uh, you know that the, the disciples were his friends. In John 15, 15, he stands up and says to them, I'm no longer going to call you my servants. I'm going to call you my friends. And then he says, because... I've told you everything the Father told me. You know it all now, so you're my friends. And so they're close friends because they've spent a lot of time and a lot of contact together. And then you have intimate friends. Intimate friends is somebody you have regular, deep communication with. An intimate friend is somebody that you can criticize and they take it because they know you love them and, and you're doing it for them. You're telling them for, for, for them. Uh, friends can bear our heart. We, we, can, we, we, can, we can bear our heart to them and tell them 
everything there is. And Jesus had these 12 close friends, but only three of them would you qualify as, as an intimate friend. In Matthew chapter 17, he, Jesus is going to the Mount of Transfiguration, and all 12 of them are with him as they, as they walk and they get up to the mount. But when he gets there, only Peter, James, and John go with him to the top of the mount. They're the only ones that, that he takes. He does things with them that he doesn't do with any of the others. They are his intimate friends. And, and sociologists say that if you go through your whole life and you have three or four of those kinds of friends, consider yourself most blessed. Because most people, listen to this, most people never have even one really close intimate friend it's easier for a woman to have a close friend than a man they tell us that most men don't have a single person that they can bear their soul to Jesus knew how important that was. Intimacy is important. Intimacy with God is important. But when you look at Jesus' ministry and his life, as it's recorded in the New Testament, we see that Jesus was very careful in cultivating acquaintances. He tried to make friends with everybody. He was, uh, he, he was careful about having casual friends and and, and close friends, but he also had some very intimate friends, people who were very close to him. In John 15, 13, he says, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Think about the final week of Jesus' life. And just think about the way he was treated. On Sunday, in the triumphal entry, all of his acquaintances were there and praising him. And, and people he didn't know, they, you know, they were all there and, 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 they, and they were praising him. And uh, came, came on down until the night before the crucifixion when they were in the upper room. And his death is very... Is, is very heavy, weighing on his heart and in his mind. That's when he picks up the bread and says, this is my body, and the, the cup, and says, this is my blood. And he puts the bread in the cup, and he turns and he hands it to who? The friend that's going to betray him. You know, that, that's what's on his heart. It, 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 and it pierces his heart, and even though these 12 were his closest friends, they didn't get it. Philip says, if you will just show us the Father, we'll understand and be satisfied. In other words, okay, we're hearing all you're saying, but just show us God and, and we'll believe you and we'll, and we'll be with you. This is his friend that says that. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. 
How can you say, show me the Father? Can you, can you hear the discouragement in the voice of Christ when he realizes what Philip is asking? And they go out into the Garden of Gethsemane, and there he is at that moment of intense agony. And he says to the twelve, they're all there. Well, says to the eleven, one of them wasn't there. He says, I'm going to go over to pray, and you stay here and pray with me. You remember what happened? He went over and prayed, he came back, and what? They were asleep. And Jesus says, couldn't you stay awake with me for just one hour? Now I want you to know Jesus wasn't saying we ought to pray an hour a day. That's not what he was telling them. What he was saying to them, I think, with a deep sense of betrayal, I'm about to die and you can't even pray for an hour. You can't stay with me for an hour. And then they go through the whole thing again and then Jesus goes back and he wakes them up and he says, hey, wake up, the betrayer is here. And Judas came and gave him the kiss of betrayal. And Peter pulls out his knife and he says, I'll stick with you. And he slashes the ear of the high priest's servant. Y'all know the story. I, you know, I don't need to tell you the story. You, you remember that? And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you're not going to stick with me. And by the time the cock crowed, Peter had denied him three times. With friends like that who needs enemies. You know, they, they don't stick with you. And then the next verse says, Matthew 26, 56 says, Then all the disciples left him and fled. Those were his close friends. They all left him. But I want you to know, there was one of those 12 that stuck with him to the very end. And then there was one other. In other words, he had two friends that were very, very intimate, close friends. As a matter of fact, they were so intimate friends that there are those who try to make both of those relationships sexual relationships. And they weren't sexual relationships. They were just close relationships. But they were so close. They were so close that uh, the, the first was John. He calls the beloved disciple. And when you read carefully the accounts, you realize that he was one of the two who stuck with Jesus to the very end. He was his, he was his dear friend to the end. At the Last Supper, Jesus has said, Now the one who's going to betray me is having dinner with us tonight. And Peter hears this, and he whispers to John, and he says, John, ask him who it is. Why do you think, you know, Peter was the one who always said exactly what he thought. You remember that? So why do you think he said to Jesus, to John, John, ask him who it is. You know why? Because he knew that Jesus would tell John things that he didn't tell anybody else. He knew that John had a relationship that nobody else had. John had that intimate relationship that could ask the 
the, the hard question. So John asked him, and Jesus told him, he says, the one I give this sop to is the one. And he turned and he handed it to Judas. And John's crushed. It says he leaned his head on Jesus' breast. He felt his pain. He hurt with him. In this time of intense sorrow, he touches Jesus. He just reaches out and touches him for reassurance. You know, that, that's an intimate friend. That's someone who, who really cares for you. And of all of the disciples, only John followed Jesus Christ to the trial. Peter kept close. He stayed out in the courtyard. But they arrested Jesus and took him to the home of the high priest. And evidently, John went right in and saw the whole thing. John was right there. Of all of the people who had followed Jesus, only John was his friend. And when they were at the cross, John is the only disciple that we know was at the cross. As they stood there, as Jesus hung on the cross, Jesus looks down and sees his mother, and he sees John, and he says to John, John, would you take care of my mom? Mom, would you treat my friend John as a son? You hear that? We know John was there. He's the only one that was there. And Jesus gave his mother's care to John and John's care to his mom. Sure, I'll take care of your mom. That's what friends are for. Now, I don't think John had all the theology of this worked out. I don't think he was standing there saying, Jesus Christ is dying for the sin of the world and I'm committing my life to Christ as my Savior. I don't think that's what was going on in his mind at all. And, and I'm not sure it's so much how we figure out all the Bible truths as much as we interpret these Bible passages and theological understandings. I, I'm not sure how important all that is. I think what may be important is that we understand that our truest friendship with Jesus Christ is when we stick with him. When we stick with him. When things are tough. In Matthew, Jesus says, if you do this to the least of my brothers, do it unto me. And in just taking care of folks like his mom or a poor person who's one who's sick and suffering, and just caring for them, we're cementing our relationship and our friendship with Jesus Christ. Do you have a friend like John? Are you a friend like John? That was one of Jesus' two friends. The second one was a woman. Her name was Mary. We know her as the woman who anointed Christ for his burial. Because, you know, things were getting difficult in that last week. If You, you, you can't read through those, that scripture about the last week of his life with not, without realizing how difficult things were getting for Jesus. Uh, the, the, the whole last year of his ministry was kind of downhill. 
Uh, all the crowds were gone, and now it's just the ones that are close friends that are following him. And uh, one of the places that, that he loved to go was to a house in Bethany where three of his friends lived, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And, and he went to them, and, and during the last week, evidently, he went to their home every night. He walked over there from Jerusalem, spent the night at their house, and then came back to Jerusalem. And when we first meet Mary, this, this is a passage that every time I preach on this, I really get in trouble. Uh, but it's the passage about Mary and Martha. He says, they were traveling along and he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. When you compare Mary and Martha, and when you're the pastor and you're preaching and you compare Mary and Martha, you make half the women in the congregation mad. You know, and, and that's not what I'm aiming to do. I'm not trying at all. I, I, what I want you to see is, is, is Mary. Three times in the New Testament you read about this Mary. Uh, and each time she's sitting at his feet. And Jesus says to Martha, only one thing is necessary. You know, when Jesus says only one thing is necessary, we ought to pay attention to what he says. I want to know what that one thing is. What is it? Well, in the context of that passage, it's intimacy with God. Intimacy with Jesus is top priority. It's more important than our work. It's more important than our service. It's more important than what we do. It's a choice. He says Mary has chosen the important thing. And I, and I think it's interesting that when, uh, when, when Jesus comes back to Bethany, the next time he comes to Bethany, it's when Lazarus has died. Okay, Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha, and he hears that Lazarus is dead, and he comes back, and Martha meets Jesus as he's coming back and, and he talks to Martha and he, he tells her about the resurrection and he tells her that everything's going to be alright and then he turns and he looks at Martha and he says where's Mary? You see Mary's the one he wanted to see. Mary's the one he wanted to talk to. John chapter 12, this is the next chapter. Six days before the Passover, this is that last week in his life, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, and Lazarus was sitting at the table with him. 
And who's the other one? Martha and Lazarus and Mary. It says, Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. Jesus said, Let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. You see, Jesus has been talking about his death. Going all the way back to uh, uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus has been talking to his disciples about his death. They're going to Jerusalem, and he's going to die. And it seems like the only one who caught it was Mary. Judas says, what a waste. Matthew says, all the other disciples agreed with Jesus. Only Mary understood it. Now what I'm going to say now is is, is just pure speculation, okay? Will, Will you allow me to speculate for a second? Back in those days, they didn't take a shower every day. They didn't even take a bath every day. You know how they they covered up their stink? They used perfume, oils, that type of thing. That's, That's the way they did it. And so I think that when Mary took that really expensive perfume and put it over Jesus, it didn't wear off right away. And he didn't wash it off. And so this is the speculation part. Jesus is at his trial before Annas and Caiaphas. And he's standing there and the people holding him and the people around him say, what's that smell? And Pilate says, what's that smell? And Herod's soldiers said, man, that's an unusual oil, an unusual perfume. And even at the cross, when they're, when they're taking Jesus to the cross, he could smell that perfume that his friend Mary had anointed him with. Jesus' relationship with God got him through. But he had two friends that were with him to the very end. So, I said all that. Let me let me give you the lesson, okay? Here, here's the lesson. Somebody's trying to call me. Sorry. Must be must be my one friend. Yeah, sure, I'm going to answer it here in front of all you guys. I'm going to turn my phone off. It's 
probably somebody trying to sell me insurance. Here's the lesson. John 15, 14. Jesus says to us, You are my friend if you do what I command you. You are my friend if you do what I command you. Only one thing is necessary, he said. Sit at my feet and learn from my teaching. Know my teaching. And John, will you take care of my mother? I think it. I, I think we build intimacy with Jesus. You know, we're, we're told and we're taught that you build intimacy with Jesus by having a quiet time and praying and reading your Bible. And I think those things are important. I think that's sitting at His feet, but it's only one of the three ways that you build intimacy. I think a second way is we're obedient to what He commands, and a third way is that we ministers to others. We take care of others. We cultivate an intimacy with God, and we cultivate an intimacy with others. And one of the secrets of spiritual success, bring us back to Timothy, one of the secrets of spiritual success is friends are important. Cultivate your closest relationships. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for today. Thank you for your blessings. Father, I just pray that uh, on on this day, uh, you would help us to realize the importance of friends. When Paul writes his letter to Timothy, he mentions 17 people, plus the brethren. Some are not good friends. Some are like Alexander. Some are like Demas. Uh, Father, most of them are friends. They're they're Barnabas-type friends or they're Luke-type friends. Father, I pray that uh, you would help us to develop the kind of relationships that minister to others. And we just thank you, Father. Bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.